Are you addicted to screens? If I'd asked this 30 years ago, the question would be, are you addicted to TV? Because that's all we had 30 years ago, wasn't it? Maybe cinema, and that's about it. But then come along personal computers, and then the internet opened up a whole new world. Mobile phones suddenly became smartphones. And then the tablets, instead of tablets being something that you swallow two times a day with food, t- tablets are now, you know, sort of A4 size screen. And that's all it is, a screen. Dashboards and cars have screens. Top end fridges and appliances have screens. And even the, the church, <laughs> we have screens. And so when I say, are you addicted to screens? There's so many around nowadays. Maybe the person sitting next to you is addicted to a screen. Maybe you can think of a family member. Maybe the person preaching to you is addicted to screens. And one of the best ways to check, actually, is to take the screens away. Have you ever seen a teenager when their screens have been taken away? Or a primary age child? Or a toddler? And to be frank, some of us adults aren't much better. But the issue of screen time is very complex. On the one hand, screens are very useful, aren't they? Many, if not all of the benefits of our modern world come via screens, via computers. Uh, They are an incredible source of productivity and creativity. Screens help us to connect to genuine educational and entertainment experiences. And the wonder of email and social messaging and video chats to keep in touch with family overseas or friends is just amazing. However, balanced against these benefits is the real social and psychological harm extreme screen addiction can bring. So when does a good thing become a bad thing? When does something that is creative become destructive? Where is that line in the sand that crosses over from being helpful to harmful? Well, today in the letter of Ephesians, we're in this very practical stage. And last week we looked at how the Bible can help us break habits from a pattern that we can use to replace bad habits with good to motivation. And if you haven't heard that message, it's online or you can read or you can listen to it. But this this week what happens is Paul opens up six practical examples of how to live lives worthy. And one of these cases is applicable, I feel, to screen addiction. Now, out of those six case studies that he brings at the midway through chapter 4 and then towards the uh, beginning of chapter 5, most of the case studies are very cut and dry. It's like, don't do this, but do this instead. So, for instance, in verse 25, the Bible says, don't tell lies, instead tell the truth. Very cut and dry. Verse 28 says, don't steal, instead work hard so that you can be generous to others. And then verse 31 says, don't be bitter, instead be kind and loving. You know, just stop it (laughs) and do this. But you can't apply that to screen time. And there's another example that Paul uses which is very similar. So we're going to investigate this example, uh, this case study, and and it has its own value. And then we're going to apply those principles to a modern 21st century problem. And the issue is anger. And this is what we're going to pick up in verses 26 and 27. What does the Bible say about anger? And we're going to look at some principles about where 
anger crosses over from being healthy to unhealthy and then apply that to screen time. So anger, verse 26 and 27 of chapter 4, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, how many of you are surprised by those first two words? The Bible is telling you and I to be angry. Surely this cannot be right. Surely there's a misprint here in the Bible. Surely anger does not please God. Doesn't the Bible say elsewhere to put anger behind us? This needs to be sorted out. Now, Paul, when he says be angry and do not sin, is directly quoting Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Word for word, be angry and do not sin. So Paul's not introducing a new idea where he writes to the Ephesians. This idea has been around for at least a thousand years before Paul, be angry and do not sin. So though, even though it's not a new idea, it does need careful explanation. The Bible makes it very clear that there are two types of anger. There is unrighteous or ungodly anger, but then there is righteous and godly anger. It's the unrighteous anger that we must put away. In fact, just a few verses later, if you've got your Bibles with you, or you can look it up, you see it in the insert, you'll see verse 26. What does verse 26 say? It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Well, that's a bit of a contradiction, isn't it? One verse says be angry, and then a few verses later it says put anger away from you. But Paul's talking about the two different types of anger. Put ungodly anger away from you, but have godly anger. Here we see an example of righteous anger, what we should be angry, is a characteristic of our Heavenly Father himself. In Ephesians 5, verse 6, again, if you've got your Bible, you can see that. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath or the anger of God comes upon the sons of disobedient. So there's two types of anger in the Bible. Godly anger, ungodly anger. It's very important that we know the difference. God's anger, this verse says, falls on those people who are continually disobedient to him. And it's a righteous, godly anger. It's an anger that's appropriate and proportional to the offense. And praise God, is tempered by much compassion. Now, there are many examples of the Bible of godly anger, and I will just show you or talk about a couple. One from Jesus himself. Imagine Jesus is at church on the Sabbath. He's in the synagogue. Now, also present is a whole bunch of religious leaders, and then in walks a man with a crippled arm. Now, the religious leaders are quite pleased because in their plotting and brooding, they are hoping that Jesus will heal this man on the Sabbath and then they can accuse Jesus of breaking one of the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees aren't in the slightest interested about this poor man's condition. Now, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, senses this, and we read in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, this is Jesus' response. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, that's the Pharisees, grieved at the hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus looked around them with anger. So just like his heavenly father, 
Jesus experienced the emotion of anger, godly anger. Jesus was angry at the hearted and calloused hearts, the uncaring attitude, but was compassionate to the man that was vulnerable and unwell. Jesus, like his heavenly father, has righteous anger. Now, fortunately for us, as I mentioned, God's anger is tempered with compassion. This is a wonderful encouragement. Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, which we all should say praise God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So this is the explanation of Paul's two words, instructions, be angry. As our Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus display godly anger, so are we. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says that we are to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And that means we become angry at the things that God is angry, like the calloused hearts of those hardened against compassion. Be angry. So can you see the difference? There's righteous anger and unrighteous anger. However, Paul quickly qualifies his statement. Notice it's not be angry and he moves on to the next topic. I did a little bit of quick maths. There are two words of instructions followed by 21 words of caution. Two words that say you must do this. And then 21 words that says be very, very careful. 10% be angry, 90% be cautious. In fact, he adds three qualifiers. Because of the phrase be angry could be taken out of proportion and just be used to justify all sorts of cruelty and bad behavior, Paul then spends 90% of this time adding three cautions. And we need to as well. And the first caution is be angry and do not sin. Why this first caution? Because our default anger is ungodly. It's not godly. It's unrighteous. It's not righteous. When we get angry, it's normally due to our self-interest. Notice when Jesus was angry, he wasn't angry because of those Pharisees being cruel or nasty to him. He was angry because they had hardened hearts to someone that was in need. That's not like us. Most of the time when we get angry, we get angry because someone is hurting us. Our self-interest is threatened. It's our injured pride that causes us to be angry, spite or malice. It's because we're holding a grudge or we want revenge. That's why we get angry. Because of this and because anger is such a powerful emotion that we often express our anger and we sin. We lash out with cruel words or even our fists. Or we smolder and stew and undermine and manipulate. And then we use all sorts of excuses to justify our behavior. See, notice this is selfish anger. It's unrighteous anger. It's our default. And that's why Paul says, be angry but do not sin. Because that's what we tend to do. God's anger, in contrast, is very different. When he responds, he doesn't sin and he doesn't contradict his character. Like I said, Jesus was angry with the religious leaders and their hard heart. What was his action? I mean, he could have gone and slapped them around the ears. He could have had lightning strike them and they'd be dead. Could have given them a good dose of the plague. What did Jesus do? 
he healed the sick person. It's very different than us, isn't it? <laughs> if we had Jesus' powers, those guys would have been fried <laughs> or some very unpleasant. Notice the difference. There are other examples in the Bible. Time and time again, the nation of Israel would turn their back on God. And that made God very sad, but also made him angry. They would worship idols. They would run after other countries and, and just fall into sin. And so what did Jesus do? Did he send a, a plague straight away or anything? No, he didn't. What God did was that he sent prophets time and time again, patiently, year after year, to call them back until the only thing he could do was generally send a, a nation to come in and military conquer them bringing chaos and suffering until they repented and turned to him. See, notice how his anger is long-suffering and his compassion is wonderful. And so this is why the Bible says, be angry but do not sin, because we need to shift away from our selfish anger that's out to justify ourselves and protect ourselves to learn what it is to have God's anger. So that's the first caution. The second caution is, be angry, but do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, why is this second caution? It's because when we're angry, we tend to internalize, brood, and grow septic. Do not let the sun go down your anger is good in that it causes us to pause and not lash out straight away. But the other thing we tend to do is just to internalize it. And that just makes it worse. We just stew. <laughs> And then something small will happen a few days later and we'll explode and no one will have any idea why we've overreacted. So, first and foremost, do not let the sin go down on your anger means take it to God before you go to bed. Okay? If you're still stewing about something at night from something that happened during the day, take it to God and let him have both barrels if because he can cope with it. <laughs> Lord, I'm fuming. Did you see what that person did to me? And then you just tell him about it. Do not let the sun go down on your anger till you've had it out with God. Now, the Psalms are the university of prayer. This is where we learn to pray. All sorts of emotion, all human emotion is expressed somewhere in those 150 Psalms, including anger. And for one example, take 109, Psalm 109 if you want to know how I to pray an angry prayer, pray 109. Because that's the psalmist putting words for us. In fact, that's, that psalmist is angry with God, and God can cope it. But that's what do not let the sun go down on your anger means. This can be very practical advice. Some couples have this as an arrangement in their marriage, that if one makes the other angry, they commit to not going to bed that night until they have talked to their spouse. That's a very good practical application of that. You don't have to implement that. That could be working well in the family. If any family member or anyone you live with is angry with them, it can be a very good practice to say to each other, we will not go to bed tonight, you know, any night until we've talked about what makes us angry. That can work in the church, it can work in the workplace or any place we have regular contact. It's not compulsory to go to another person before nightfall to talk about your anger, but it is helpful. I believe that call there is to take it to God first. Because often, actually, just talking to God in prayer gives you the perspective that you desperately need. So be angry, do not sin. Be angry, do not let your sun go down on your anger. And thirdly, 
be angry, but give no opportunity to the devil. See, the devil know there's a fine line between righteous and unrighteous anger and how hard it is for us to know the difference and to handle anger responsibly. So the devil loves to lurk around angry people. He loves to give them a poke. He likes to exploit any situation to his advantage. He's ready to provoke an angry person into hatred or violence or to drive a wedge between them and their relationships and sow seeds of disunity. Anger that has not been filtered through the two cautions of do not sin or do not uh, let the sun go down on your anger. If you don't do that, you provide an opportunity for the devil and his cause. So this then is Paul's instructions to the Ephesians on anger. It is expected that from time to time, Christians will be angry. Angry at the things that God is angry about. Not angry necessarily at the things that affront us. Because it's such a powerful emotion, and we can either lash out or stew, which are both very, very unhealthy ways of dealing with anger. The Bible is telling us through Paul, don't be angry, take it to God in prayer, and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I could have finished this sermon here with a couple of examples, but this is where I thought, well, let's see if we can apply what we've been talking about now to screen time. Because screen time is not an all or nothing, though for those heavily addicted, there may be some folk that will have to you know, throw their smartphone away or at least stop using it for a month. But for most of us, it's not an all or nothing situation. Like anger, there are times when we use a screen and there are times when we don't use a screen. Like anger, which we can do rightly or wrongly, same with screen time. We can use screen time rightly or wrongly. So I thought, what if we can apply the principles we've just looked over to screen time? And so, screen time. I'm not sure if I need to tell you that too much screen time is a major problem. And it's not just with our young folk. It's with uh, our not-so-young folk, some of them as well. I mean, some of the pitfalls, and just one, just time for one. In his book, Three Screens of Glass, Eric Jacobson just outlined some concerns about using screens. Smartphones, he says, Smartphones provide a too convenient distraction, pulling us away from spontaneous face-to-face interaction with people we encounter in everyday life. Smartphones erode ideas of civility and can diminish our humanity as we make unkind comments about others on social media. Smartphones direct our empathy and instinct for connection toward people we're never likely to meet in person while causing us to ignore those with whom we could enjoy a real relationship involving risk, trust, and shared intimacy. Says it all, really, doesn't it? I suppose, practically, you just have to go to a restaurant. Have you done this? Gone to a restaurant, there's a table of four people, and each of them has a screen. (laughs) And households, too. Things like that. So, like anger, screen time is not a simple prohibition. It's actually a way of managing Just like we have to manage anger, we have to manage our screen time. So when does it cross over from being helpful to being harmful? So let's see if we can apply those principles. Now I'll take a little bit of liberty here and change those verses in chapter 4 to, instead of anger, use screens and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your screen time, I'll explain that, and give no opportunity to the devil. 
So let's see if we can take those three principles that we learned for anger and see if we can apply them to screen time. Do not sin. Use screens, but do not sin. Now, there's an obvious answer to this, isn't there? But there's also a secondary implication here too. So what does it mean to use screens and not sin? Well, it means don't go to a place like a pornographic site. It's the content. Don't go to a pornographic site that feed our sensual desires. The content of the screen. Uh, Do not post cruel, unkind or untrue comments on social media. Use screens, but do not sin. So it's the content. And that would be, say, a sin of commission. But there's also a sin of omission, which I think is more subtle and more prevalent. The sin of omission is, what good are we not doing while I am spending hours on a screen? And I think that's probably the area where we slip up the most. I'm hoping that most of us are very careful and we filter the content that we look at and we don't go to inappropriate places, don't watch inappropriate movies or whatever. That's the assumption. Some of us will need to work on that. It's the other issue. It's the sin of omission of not doing the good that we could do because we're watching, uh, we're on the screen. So at night, uh, a couple's routine is that one will watch their favourite TV program and the other will be on the computer doing some work. Maybe God's prompted us to call someone who's going through a tough time and yet before we know it, the evening's gone because we've been on a screen. Maybe we get up early in the morning to have our quiet time with God, but we just want to check our emails before we do. And suddenly, look at the time and it's breakfast and out the door. So, use screens and do not sin means be very careful of the content and be very careful of what you write. But use screens and do not sin is be very careful of the good that you are not doing. Relationships and responsibilities. I think all of us would rather watch Netflix than pay our bills. (laughs) Making sure that our responsibilities and our relationships are not being neglected. So that's the first thing. Second thing, do not let the sun go down on your screen time. Now, this doesn't connect quite so well. It may be even a little bit forced, but I think the principle here was with anger, do not let the sun go down on your anger meant that we paused and we took it to God. Now, that principle does carry across to our screen time. Have you ever thought about the screen time that you have, have, have been involved with a week and actually gone to God with prayer? and said, God, this is what I've been watching. Help me here. Can you do that and not blush? (laughs) Can you you say, God, this is what I've been doing this week? And ask yourselves, ask yourself in prayer, you know, say, well, how much time am I spending in front of the screens? How much is it for work? Communicating with family? Communicating with friends and entertainment? All legitimate. But how much of that has been content that I should never have seen. Maybe the content hasn't been helpful. Maybe it hasn't been uplifting, hasn't been constructive. In fact, it's sinful, dodgy, or just benign waste of time. And importantly, before God, saying what I am not doing because of screen time. And because we're very good at justifying ourselves, 
ask the person you live with what they think about your screen time. So do not let the sun go down on your screen time is all about pausing, taking it to God in prayer. Is my screen time appropriate and proportionate? And thirdly, give no opportunity to the devil. When it comes to using your screen time, did you know one of the greatest but quietest spiritual battles occurs every time someone enters something in Google? Just think about that. That is one of the quietest and most significant spiritual battles that is going on in New Zealand and around the world is when someone sits at a computer and is going to start typing. Imagine if God was in control and then every time a person typed, they would type appropriate searches and go to these wonderful sites. Imagine if Satan was in control and every time someone typed in something, Satan would be taking them to websites that were inappropriate. I mean, that's the spiritual warfare that we're in. Now, you might not feel that yourself, but our young people is right where they are. Our young people who haven't had the filters and life experiences that we've had and learnt lessons, they can go in front of Google, and there is a spiritual battle that we need to be praying for. Use screens but give no opportunity for the devil. He loves to lurk around people on screens because he knows he can direct their attention, either wasting time so they're not doing good things or taking them to sites and contents that are destructive. And so we give no opportunity to the devil when we sit in front of the screen. A short example to finish. I once asked our worship leader in our last church where he'd learned the guitar. He had a young family, four children, uh, owned a business that if I mentioned it, you'd probably know with his father, well-known national business. And I said, where did you learn the guitar? And he said, while he was at university, he was in a flat. And in this flat, as soon as 7 p.m. rolled around, everybody in the flat dropped everything and watched Shortland Street. And he did not like Shortland Street. So he decided he would pick up a guitar and he taught himself to play. 30 minutes every weeknight for a year. Now, at the end of that year, he was playing the guitar really well. What about his flatmates? What can you say about their flatmates who had watched 30 minutes of Shortland Street? Let's not go down to their too specific. Don't want to offend any Shortland Street fans here. But that kind of says it all, doesn't it? And here he was 15 years later, more, with a young family, and he was still standing up leading worship from a skill that he had learned from a simple thing of saying, I'm going to deny myself 30 minutes of screen time five days a week. Let's pull all this together. There are two issues here today. Both of them are significant, aren't they? Anger. All of us have an issue with anger, and we must have an issue for anger because God's word says we must be angry with the things that God is angry with. We should not meet cases of hardened hearts and, and, and shocking injustice with apathy, but learn from Jesus himself. However, we need to be cautious and do not sin when we are angry and do not let the sun go down in our anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. 
And all of us need to take this on board to a greater or lesser extent. But secondly, we've applied those principles to screen time. And some of you here might not have an issue with that, but many of us do, and many of our children and grandchildren. And so, some of us here may need to give up our screen. We may have to have weekends where we put away all our screens and just use them for productivity, whatever. However you manage it, make sure that you use your screens and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your on your screen time, which means make sure you are transparent before God. And finally, do not give Satan an opportunity. Instead, let our screen time be productive, may it be wholesome, and may it bring him the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've... Uh, Oh, it's just amazing how wonderful your word is and how practical. And so we do ask, Lord, that you will teach us to be angry as you are angry. Now, some of us are very angry, but it's unwholesome, and we need healing. We need to repent. We need to learn to you to get rid of that unrighteous, that ungodly anger. So please heal us in that area. Other of us, Lord, we need the opposite. We need to learn to be angry as Jesus was angry at the right time to the right extent. Help us, Lord to do that well. And when it comes to screen time, Lord, may whenever we use a screen, may it bring you honour and glory, whether it's be legitimate entertainment, productivity, communicating. And we pray for our young folk, Lord, who are regaled with temptation and opportunity in ways we never were when we were young. Help us, Lord, to, to guide where we can and may you do a miracle in their lives through Christ our Lord. Amen.